We've been looking and we'll continue to do so. We're going to continue through resource number three, a courageous spirit. I don't remind you that this is for the next for 10 weeks we'll be looking at this thought on doing decisions right doing making right biblical God uh, God focused decisions that honor and please him we look first of all at a sober mind a resource that is needed and in these first five weeks of this 10-week series we're going to be looking at the resources the tools uh, the things that we'll need to access throughout the decision-making process. And the first resource, we said, was a sober mind, a serious mind. We said, as we looked at us being uh, at that sober mind, we said that we are decisional and we depend upon God for the next steps. God knows what next steps I need to take. God knows what direction I ought to go. And as a child of God, I need to have a serious mind or a sober mind when it comes to decisions, looking circumspectly at all the different angles, all the different things, and making sure that I am making a decision that is focused and dependent upon God and His leading. Oh, how important that is, that we have a serious mind when it comes to decisions. Some people take decisions so lightly, it's just a trivial thing. However, when it comes to a decision that God puts before us, God wants us to make it with a mind that is focused and is ready for the decision that he has for us. Secondly, and last week, we mentioned a pure heart. A pure heart. And we gave a couple of formulas as we thought about a pure heart and how it is important to have a pure heart through the decision-making process. We gave this first formula that emotions, what I feel, how I am at this moment, plus desires, what I want, plus logic. And let me just make this very clear. I'm not against logic. I think part of a serious mind is looking and making sure that we are prepared for the decision that God is leading us to. However, if all we are doing is preparing and all we are doing is focusing on all the logic, all the numbers, and we take God completely out of the equation, then, it, then we can come to a point in which we do what is next and make a best guess. And that's so often how the world looks at it. We use our emo- the world will use the emotions, their desires, what they want, and the logic that they reason themselves with to add to that a best guess. And often that equals to what? A wrong decision. A decision that does not lead to where God desires and wants. It equals to something that is wrong. And as a Christian, as children of God, there are times where God leads us in a direction that defies logic, that defies the numbers. It doesn't make sense. However, it's God's step. And as God chooses to order our steps, as we'll see in just a moment, God truly gives clarity for that and he truly leads in a right way. And so we said emotions plus desires plus logic plus best guess equal many times wrong decisions. However, when we look at God's formula of wisdom, which remember, we define that as truth, reality, or understanding, plus purpose, plus obedience, it equals a right decision. Ultimately, it comes down to, are we making a decision that is right according to what God wants, or are we making a decision wrong uh, in disobedience to what God has shown us? And we said that a pure heart can be decontaminated by doing what? By confessing sin, by confessing and forsaking that sin by telling by agreeing with god completely and utterly god i have done wrong please forgive me and confessing that known sin that the holy spirit shows and brings to our heart and then secondly by cleansing our heart with the word of god the word of god cleanses uh, the fog or the 
the lens of our hearts, if we can put it that way. My grandmother lived in northwest Ohio in a very flat area of Ohio, a lot of farmland. And I remember one year, I think it was my first or second year in seminary, if I remember correctly, um, that I was going to visit her for just a day or two on my way back to Bible college after Christmas break. And as I was driving up, there was a snow and ice in that order storm. There was a little bit of ice that was already on the ground and a lot of snow. I'm talking like 10 or 12 inches of snow came down. And then on top of that was about two or three inches of, snow, of ice. It was just incredibly treacherous driving. And I remember going in and my grandmother's driveway was large she had 80 acres of farm and she had a big farmhouse that sat a little off the road and she had this big driveway that did a big u and i'm talking about a big u it was uh as far it would seem like it and as a kid about a half a mile to go around that u it wasn't quite that long but it felt like it as a kid uh growing up and it was just this big u that come through and then she had another uh offshoot of that driveway that would go into her garage my grandmother learned to park her car in the garage. Um, I didn't have that leisure ability since it was a single car garage visiting my grandmother. And so I remember pulling onto her driveway and it was nothing. It looked just as beautiful as a uh, uh, as snow just kind of sprayed in place with hairspray or something that's just completely tacked in place. And it was tacked in place with lots and lots of ice. And as soon as my car hit that ice, I skated literally all the way into the middle of her garden until I hit a small spot. My car sunk down and I was there. I wasn't going anywhere. I was stuck. And uh, I remember getting out of that car and taking my suitcase and literally just giving it a light shove and it skated all the way across her front garden all the way to her porch and I ended up getting on my hands and knees crawling across the ice and the snow just to get to her porch so I could get inside it was that treacherous but my grandmother learned to park her car in the garage here we use what our garage for what more storage <laughs> we use it for all these different things we don't park our cars in the garage because we don't get a lot of snow we don't get a lot of ice however when we do and that windscreen is all fogged up it makes it hard to see is it not you have to pull glad in the winter and you have to scrape it or if you do like I do sometimes you have a little bit of a little about a, about a pound coin size hole in your windscreen and you're looking through that I can see I can make it and you can you can navigate down the road and you're trying to not hit anything looking through that little tiny hole and you know if we have a heart that is fogged or that is covered with sin and with an un, and with uh, 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 with worldly thoughts, what does it do? It fogs our heart. And oh, there might be one clear spot, but we're trying to navigate decisions. We're trying to navigate all these areas of life, looking through just a small hole of clarity in the windscreen of our heart. We're not going to get the decision right. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have troubles. We're not going to see. All that God wants us to see. And when it comes to us having a pure and a clean heart, we need to understand that our emotions, our desires, our best guesses are truly all over. They can be any place. God wants us to have a pure heart that sees it like He sees it. And that's what a pure heart does. It gives us objectivity to be able to see a decision like God sees it. And that's what God desires. When it comes to a decision of life, God wants us to have a heart that sees it like He sees it. Objectively looking at the picture of the decision. Tonight we're going to transition into this third resource. And really this resource is a tool that you'll need throughout the process uh, it, it's near to a process uh, uh, of decision making but it's a resource that you're going to need throughout the decision making process uh, 
And that is a courageous spirit. A courageous spirit. Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to Joshua chapter 1 with me. In Joshua chapter 1, we see Joshua entering a time in which there is about to be a major change in his life. Prior to Joshua chapter 1, Joshua was Moses' helper. He was Moses' servant. He followed Moses. He was truly there to help and to guide uh, and to assist Moses, as it were. He was not leading the whole nation of Israel up until Joshua chapter 1. Now in Joshua chapter 1, he's leading the whole nation, the whole nation of Israel. He's always been the servant. He's always been the one helping Moses. But now he is leading them into a land that he has never been but to survey. He was there to survey with the 12 spies that were sent to survey the promised land. He and Caleb came back with a good report saying, let's go up. Let's de- we, we, can, we can defeat the giants of the land. But besides that survey of looking at the uh, a future promised land years before, he had never been. Now he's leading hundreds, thousands, yea, millions of people into a land that he has never been. Against giants that he's never fought. There's a lot of unknowns here. A lot of new territory. There's a lot to be uneasy about. And notice what the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 1. Now after, excuse me, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast." There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. And then notice this, as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God here is comforting Moses, or comforting Joshua. He is helping him to deal with something in which he struggled with. What did he struggle with? He struggled with fear. There are others in the Bible that struggled with fear. Timothy was one that struggled with fear. Even that great missionary Paul, whom we speak so much about, struggled with fear. We are speaking through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and as he came into that ministry or came into Corinth, he was fearful. He had gone through so much persecution and there was a time in which God would give him about 18 months of rest before, yea, God would send him on. But it would, take a, it would take some assurance of the Lord for him to even get back into full-time ministry in Corinth because of fear. There are many in the Bible that struggled with fear. And God deals with Joshua's fear here in this portion of Scripture. Notice how God deals with this fear. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 6 with me. Be strong and of a good courage. We'll come back to this. For unto this people shalt thou divide for inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do to, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God was giving him a principle, a promise, saying, if you follow me, you will have good success. 
What a blessing. What a promise. This doesn't always equal out to prosperity the way that many false uh, false uh, uh, teachers are speaking of today where, where suddenly if you send in this money for a prayer handkerchief and you get it back and suddenly your life is going to be changed and suddenly you'll be blessed. That's not how God works. But when God does, when God does see us follow Him and give obedience often, God does bring blessings along with that and He does bring good success even if it's success God's way. And I'll define that in a moment. Notice how Joshua says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. What a great portion of Scripture. Do you see how many times we see that be strong, be not afraid? Why is God saying that? He is saying that because Joshua is afraid. He's fearful. He's entering a territory in which he has never taken before. This is unfamiliar territory for him, but God gives him a great reason to get decisions right, to get his decisions placed in the right aspect with the lord why because god says i will be with you what a great and awesome promise that is you know there's a lot that we see around the world today and around in our lives today that bring fear into our lives every couple that stands before a wedding altar and promises their hand in marriage does so with fear If there was no fear, it's just downright foolishness and ignorance. There's fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to take place. Those who conceive a child and bring a child into the world do so with fear. What's going to happen? What's going to take place? If they do so without fear, likewise, it is a foolishness. What is going to happen in the years ahead? You see, these decisions like the decisions that uh, that Joshua dealt with was taking them forward into unfamiliar territory. And that unfamiliar territory will give us a natural reason to pause. Why? Because we're stepping into the unknown. We're stepping into territory that we've never traversed before. We've never gone that way. We've never tried it that way. We've never followed the Lord in that direction. What will happen? And fear is a natural response to that. But God tells us to be be strong and of a good courage. God tells us that when we do decisions right, He is with us. What a blessed thing that is. That as I take a step out by faith, God says, I'm with you every step of the way. When I do decisions like God desires us to make decisions, He promises to be with us at every step along life's way. This is not just simply an Old Testament problem. This is a New Testament problem. Paul dealt with fear. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Hold your place there and Joshua will come back to there. But I want you to see this. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 with me, please. Paul here is teaching the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus has just been taught through chapters 4 and 5 how to have Christ-like relationships. Relationships of husband and wife, relationships of parents to children, relationships from children to parents, relationships to co-workers and servants and employers and employees and all the different relationships that we have even among the church and among brethren. And he taught how to have Christ-like relationships that were led of the Spirit of God focused upon the gospel. 
And as we approach Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse number 10 with me, if you would, please. Notice how Paul encourages these Christians as he taught them how to have gospel-centered relationships, Christ-like relationships in their lives. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I love that verse. I use this verse all the time. So many times, I trying to be an encouragement to people, I'll refer to this verse. It is a powerful verse reminding us to be strong in the Lord, to be not afraid, to take that step of faith that God intends and desires. Look at verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. God wants us to have some strength, some tenacity, some boldness in our Christian life. Our Christian life needs not to be filled with fear. We can be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We can be strong and of a good courage. We need a courageous Christianity today. There are reasons that we don't take steps forward in the Christian life. And one of it, one thing, one, one reason why so often many Christians do not take steps forward is that we are afraid of successful steps. As we think about all the things that could go wrong, but we also, many times as Christians, are wondering about what if things do go right? What if things go in a direction in which I don't think I'm prepared for? Let me give you five thoughts here tonight as we get into introduction here this evening or continue an introduction. For example, what if I don't want the spotlight? What if I take this step and it brings a spotlight upon me that I don't want? I don't want to be in that spotlight. I don't want to have all the attention focused upon me. I'm not comfortable having that focus and that attention upon me. But what if God calls or what if God leads or what if God pushes me that direction in which I do need to step into the spotlight? What happens then? What happens if I go and I don't think I'm prepared for it? I don't want to be in front of others. Another reason why we might be afraid of taking that step, knowing that God is leading that direction. What if doing so, what if doing what God wants me to do exposes me to more criticism? Think about this for just a moment. Joshua did not have to worry about any angry emails on Monday morning. Moses took care of that. And now, Joshua was in the spotlight. He was open to criticism. I don't want to take that step. What will people think? What will be the critiques that come my way? And often that very thought, that very thing will cause us to wait and say, I'm not going to take that step. And that waiting becomes fear in of itself. Because I don't want to take that step. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want to open myself up to criticism. I don't want to open to myself up to where my decision is second-guessed or is, uh, or, or is uh, 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 critiqued in some way. But let me just remind us that if God leads us to a decision, and that decision does take us into the spotlight and does open us up to more 
criticism. He has given us all we need to be able to handle that spotlight and to be able to handle that criticism. He never leads us into an area in which he has not already equipped us to be able to do. And so when God calls and when God says, I want you to take that step, he does truly give us and enable us to handle that in which he has led us to do. There are some reasons why we may not step forward in this successful venture as we think of following the Lord and seeing God work and move is thirdly what if i obey and i fail what if i make the right decision and i fail i understand this thought and this fear very very well what happens if i make that decision and what if that decision doesn't do anything what if it falls flat what if it just simply is a matter of where it seems like there is nothing good that's come out of that decision. What if I obey and it seems like I fail? What if moving forward turns me into something I don't want to be? Many Christians are paralyzed by that very thing. Are fearful about taking that step because... After all, I'm comfortable where I am. I've grown very comfortable to the way I am today. It's taken me 41 years to be very comfortable where I am today. But what if he leads in the direction in which suddenly I'm not as comfortable? What if suddenly my situation is such that he's leading in a direction that's going to take me out of that zone that I am very much comfortable with. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to step into a role in which I don't want in which I'm not comfortable. And often in ministry, there's a fear of moving forward. Because the what if I'm laying down my freedoms? What if I'm laying down some freedoms to move forward with the gospel? And in ministry, that is something that as one grows and matures, becomes more and more real. Because you will be, because it comes to a point in which you realize that I've got to lay some things aside. I've got to put some things that I would normally enjoy, but I'm willing to put those freedoms down so I can help someone else. So I can serve in some aspect. There are times where when God orders a step, it does so knowing that the freedoms that I've enjoyed will need to be set aside or laid down to be effective for how this decision is going to further my life. There's fear of not only failure, fear of not of the only known, unknown, but fear of even success. Successful stepping with the Lord. Joshua truly could identify with all of these things. Joshua served, ministered to Moses. Now God is saying, Joshua, step into the spotlight. Now he's saying, Joshua, you're going to open yourself up to some criticism. Now he says, Joshua, you're going to go forward. And it's going to cost you even some freedoms. There are going to be some things in which you're going to lay down. Some things that you enjoyed before that you're going to have to put aside and you're going to have to step forward. And that is going to bring some attention to you. And Joshua understood this. And this was a thing in which he truly struggled with. The fear was real. The fear of the unknown, the fear of what was going to take place and all that was going to open himself up to, the fear was there. 
And this truly, a courageous spirit is a very necessary resource that you and I will have to access over and over and over again through the decision-making process. It is something that we need to have at the ready. Because if we don't have it at the ready, we're going to struggle through the process that God brings us along the way to doing that right decision. So let me give you three thoughts about courage here this evening as we think about a courageous spirit. First of all, courage decides forward. Hold your place in Joshua. Go back to Exodus chapter 14 with me, if you would, please. I don't have time to go through the entire story, but let me just set quickly the context here. Israel has just le- is leaving Egypt, has just left the captivity uh, or the enslavement of Egypt and is now traveling to the wilderness, but they are up to the Red Sea. They've gotten to the Red Sea and there's no way seemingly to go forward. And as they are now at the Red Sea, the Egyptians have a change of heart. Pharaoh says, you know what? We made a mistake. We let them go. We need to go after the children of Israel. And so they did. And so here are the children of Israel, all these people, camped by the Red Sea. There seems to be no way to go forward. And Pharaoh and his armies are coming and Israel at this point is gripped, is paralyzed, is becoming uh, 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 insane with panic. Panic is just simply overwhelming them, and they are beside themselves at the situation at hand. Notice what the Bible says in Exodus 14, verse number 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in, Israel, er, in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Poor Moses here. Oh, my soul. Picture Moses here if you would. He's doing exactly what God wants him to do. He's there by the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming, and the Israelites start crying out, we told you this was going to happen. There wasn't a cemetery in Egypt for us to be buried in. How are you going to have us buried in this, in this wilderness by the Red Sea? They said, didn't we tell you this was going to happen, you loser? Why in the world did you bring us out all this way just for us to die by the Red Sea? We told you this was going to happen. They were out of their minds with panic and fear. Notice what Notice what, no, notice what uh, the, uh, they continue. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. <laughs> and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still. This wasn't exactly good advice here, to stand still. Especially when God was telling them to go forward. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. (laughs) I love how how God puts this here. (laughs) He gives them their... He gives them their... their, uh, uh, their conversation very very humorously moses is 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 seeing this panic fearful conversation towards them look what are we going to do you you brought us out here we're just going to die we told you this was going to happen what does and what does moses say he says god's going to take care of this 
You don't need to be afraid. He does give them some bad advice to stand still, but notice that he says, the Lord's going to fight, the Lord's going to take care of this, and ye shall hold your peace. In the Hebrew, that means just shut up. <laughs> just quit talking. <laughs> just be quiet now. God's going to take care of this. Their fear was completely irrational, and yet they were stricken with it. God led them there. Was God going to leave them there to die, telling them that he was going to take them to the promised land? Of course not. Their fear was irrational on every front, and yet they were stricken with it. Now look at verse number 15 with me, please. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? God's like, what's the problem? Why is everyone so fearful? I told you I'm going to give, keep you safe. I told you I'm going to bring you to the promised land. Have I broken my word before? Everything's going to be okay. Don't need to cry into me. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> There's no boats. <laughs> There's no bridge. <laughs> the Red Sea is a complete body of water. And God says, what's the problem, Moses? Go. Go forward. Why are you standing still? But is that not how we often act? Is that not how we are in the decision-making process? We stand still until everything is in its place. We do this upon even some basic steps of faith that God leads us to. God wants to direct our steps. God wants to lead our steps. A step indicates movement forward. Courage takes us forward. It moves us forward. But the tendency in which we are so prone to is to wait until everything is fully set. I know exactly what's going to happen 10 steps from now. I know what's going to happen 20 steps from now. I know what's going to happen 100 steps from now. I want to see it all mapped out. And God just simply says, go, take that step. Go forward. You see the truth. You see what needs to be done. And God says, just move. Take that step. You see, it's not mine to direct my step. It's mine to step. And it's God's to direct my step. What do I mean by that? All my boys, when they were young, Samuel's age and even younger, going to a park and playing on the playground, they would see the kids slide down the slides and going across all the different play equipment and such. And inevitably, in order to get up to the slide, there's ladders. There's something that they've got to climb up to do. And often, I think every one of my boys did this at some stage where they would get to the lat, they would climb up the ladder and they could see each step of the way, all the way up. And then they get to the top of the ladder, top of the slide. And that suddenly they start looking way down and they say, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> and they decide to come back down and they decide to go back down the ladder. To them, it looks like they're way hundreds of feet in the air, but really they're eye level or lower to me. They're not very far up. But they hesitate. And they decide they're going to come back down and they begin to come back down the ladder. But being one of the first times they've been on a ladder like that, they do this. They take that step and they're just, their foot's just all over because they can't see the step that they need to take. And they're holding on. I'm standing right there, right behind them. I know nothing's going to happen if they go down the slide. I know they're going to have fun. 
But now that they want to come back down the ladder, I know the next step that they need to take, but they can't see it, and they are just hanging for their life, paralyzed for their fear that they're going to fall all these hundreds of feet down to the ground, and it's going to be terminal. But I see it. And I think I've done this with all of my boys. I take their foot, and I guide it to that step. And I assure them, take it. Take that step. I'm guiding it. I'm directing it. You're right there. They could be just an inch above the step. But to them, it could be a mile. Because they don't see it. And I'm saying, just take that step. It'll be okay. You see, God directs our steps. It's not mine to direct my step. It's God's. God just says, take the step and I'll guide your foot. I'll guide how you are to step. And when you step, you will step exactly where you should. If you follow God's way. If you follow God's direction. God tells the children of Israel to take that step. They don't have total understanding of what is going to happen here. They don't know the Red Sea is about to part and they're going to walk on dry land. They don't know that the Red Sea is going to close upon the Egyptian army, annihilating that army completely and they will again see Egypt no more. They do not understand all that's taking place. God just says, take that next step. It needs a courageous spirit. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. God guides our feet to the right step. Proverbs chapter 3, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. God wants to direct our steps, direct our paths. God wants us to look the direction in which he is pointing and trust him that he is going to clear the path for us. But as we think about the path that's clearing for us, there are some questions that immediately come to mind. In the decision-making process, as we think about what God may have for us, what God is leading our hearts to, There are some natural questions that come up. If you want to write them down, do so. I'm going to give them to you quickly. If, what, where, when, and how. Much of our decision-making process is we want to know the last bit of that. The where, when, and how. Where is God going to lead? When is He going to do it? And how is He going to do it? We want to know all of those things, but honestly, the hardest part of the decision-making process is not the where, when, and how. It is the if and what. It is if God is moving. Is He doing this direction? Is it what the Lord is doing? And as He makes it clear, and as He begins to reveal that this is what God has for us, He begins to revolve or begins to show the what Thank God for those moments in which he does show us exactly what he has for us to do, what step we are supposed to take, how we are supposed to handle the next step of life. And as he shows that what, the when, or the where, when, and how become almost a natural byproduct of discerning if and what in what God is leading our hearts to. Is God leading that step? If he is, what step is it? And then God begins to form, God begins to conceal or reveal the where, when, and how. God wants us to be focused upon the direction in which he's pointing. Quickly, and I'm using too much time here already, go go look at, uh, uh, secondly, um, let me give you this thought. Courage avoids indecision. Courage avoids avoids indecision we like to spiritualize the waiting game it's a mental waiting game 
Often we like to spiritualize, well, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God. I'm waiting on greater clarity is often what we say. Again, going back to the if and what. Is God leading? Is God directing? What is he leading to? The Bible teaches us that God wants us to go forward. And if we are not careful, we can use this waiting mentality to actually step into disobedience. We can actually come to a waiting point where God clearly convicts our conscience that this is exactly the step that He has for us. The what has been shown, that is the step that He has shown. But we are determined to wait upon the clarity or upon what we deem that God would desire for us to do. And if we're not careful, we can go into disobedience with this area. Example, if the children of Israel... When God said, go forward, if they were to say, no, God, we're not going forward, we're going back, that would have been disobedience. Because they didn't go forward like God told them to. God gave them clearly the what, and they chose to disobey. Now, times, God may, when God gives us the clarity to go forward, and we have that clarity, I'm not talking about a time in which we're determine if God is wanting us to take that step or if he's wanting us to go into that moment but it becomes almost a time in which we decide to become indecisive in our action and we passively enter into disobedience it's not a direct I'm just turning away but rather it's I'm not going to obey when God says to obey God says to obey I've seen it. It's clear. I'm supposed to walk that direction, but I am choosing not to walk in this moment because I'm waiting for more clarity. Quote, unquote. What is that? That is passively disobeying. That is disobedience towards God because God is clearly saying, yes, go forward, and we choose not to do so. You see, not deciding is a decision. Let me say it this way. It's a little wordy, but I think it drives home the point even more. Deciding not to decide is a decision. Think of a young person just about to go into uni or graduating from university and They have these grand ideas. All these things that they're going to accomplish. They have all these thoughts in which they are going to do. But they continue to wait on the right time. More clarity. And they end up just wasting time. It's very clear what the next step is. It's very clear what they should do next. Everyone around them knows it. It is very clear to them. They talk about it. They understand that it is what God desires, but they choose to do what? Just to waste time. Just to sit in the valley of indecision. And that is a moment in which sinfulness kicks in or disobedience kicks in because they simply kick that idea further down the road choosing to indecide, choosing to be indecisive at that moment, waiting for the decision to suddenly make itself. But if you're waiting to make a decision, you are making a decision to wait. Not deciding is still a decision. How important it is that when God clears to, tells us to go forward, that we do. Psalms thirty-seven twenty-three says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And notice, and he delighteth in his way. The steps indicate movement. You don't stand still and step. 
you move in a step. The steps of a good man going forward. Courage is willing to make a decision. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to see this here quickly with me. The Bible, uh, as Paul encouraged Timothy about the fearfulness of a sound mind and of making sure that he is going forward with what God has for him. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse number 6 with me. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to his works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Jesus or in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Go down to verse number 12 with me. Notice how Paul states, he's encouraging Timothy, step forward, continue with the gospel, continue telling others the good news. It is evident, it is clear, and notice how Paul continues, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that the Lord is able to keep that which is committed unto me against that day. God is encouraging, God, or Paul is encouraging Timothy here to have directional movement, to have movement that is going further with the ministry that God has called him. And employing courage in our life indicates and causes a movement forward. God encourages us to have courage when it comes to a decision. Thirdly, and lastly, this, this evening, courage confronts its enemies. Courage confronts its enemies. What is its enemies? Go back to Joshua 1. I've told you to keep your finger there. Go back to it and we'll end with this thought here tonight. Courage is willing to look at its enemies and is willing to confront them even in the face of fear. Notice how God teaches Joshua here in verse number 6. Be strong and of a good courage. What is the enemy of strength? It's quite simply an apathy. I don't care. I don't care what's supposed to happen. It's not on me. It doesn't matter at the moment. I don't care about that right now. God teaches us to be strong. To look at the moment and say, this is the truth. This is what God has for me. And this is a step in which I ought to be strong in. That I ought to step forward in. Apathy fights that and courage is willing to take that enemy of apathy and say, you know what, there is a cause, there is a reason, there is a purpose for what God has for and I am willing to be strong, I am willing to go forward knowing that God is with me. Secondly, is fear. We've spoken of that. The Bible says be strong and of a good courage. Of a good courage. The natural enemy of courage is fear. Fear of, I don't want to do this. I don't like how this looks at this moment. There's a company that uh, has gone out of business. I believe we're all familiar with it, Toys R Us. Remember the theme song, I don't want to, I don't want to grow up, I don't want to, uh, 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 you know, I want to stay a kid, I want to enjoy all the little the toys and all the things that, 
that one has. Why? I don't want to. I don't want to step into the role of an adulthood. I don't want to step into the role of having to pay bills. I don't want to step into the role of having to deal with insurance claims and go all through all the things that adulthood entails. I would rather have that moment of that childhood in which I can uh, enjoy uh, being cared for by my mom, enjoy the provision that my dad gives, enjoy just being able to rest on my laurels, uh, to rest on our uh, blessed assurances, uh, and just stay where we are. I don't have to ever venture out. I don't have to do any anything further i'm comfortable wherein i don't want to do that and we give ourselves in to that fearfulness and god teaches us so often to be strong and of a good courage take those steps go forward how god desires and watch god work watch how god leads and directs through the way Quickly, and I'm leaving so much out, but we need to, we need to end here tonight. Time is not my, not my ally this evening, um, as normal for some reason. I don't know why that is. Uh, look at verse number 8 with me, please, if you would, quickly. This book of the law shall not depart of out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. The enemy of knowing the book of the law, knowing God's word, meditating in God's word, is quite simply ignorance. Ignorance. God's people are being destroyed by ignorance. We don't know the word of God. We take what we want out of the word of God. We apply our own context and we herald forth a trivial thing, making it a doctrine instead of a preference, making it an issue out of what it's... uh, out of what God never intends to be an issue. Our people, uh, God's people are being destroyed. We're being ravaged today by ignorance. By ignorance of the word of God. God's people need to know the word of God. And by the way, parents, it is our responsibility to teach children God's word. I don't mind being, of course, the one who teaches on Sundays and Wednesdays and teaches for two times out of the uh, two times of the week the word of God. But my friends, if you simply try to survive on two meals a week physically, you will die. It's not me, it's not my responsibility to teach your children on Monday. It's your responsibility, children, or or parents to teach your children on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's your responsibility to teach the Word of God. It's your responsibility to learn the Word of God. It is our responsibility to learn God's Word and to study and to teach it. There are teenagers today that are experimenting with lifestyles that are destroying their lives because parents aren't willing to teach their children the right and biblical principles of marriage and proper healthy relationships in the right time and the right place. We desperately need parents today that will teach the children the word of God. We need the word of God. A Sunday morning message and a Wednesday night message as full of scripture as we make them are not going to satisfy your spiritual hunger on Tuesday. You need a relationship with God on Tuesday and on Friday. And every and, and as you walk with God, we need to have that wonderful, vibrant walk with Him that is learning and growing in Scripture. We need Scripture today. God's word makes a difference. We desperately need it. I remember a illustration a pastor gave some years ago. I don't remember who it is, so I can't ascribe a name to it, but he was counseling a family that was working with another family in ministry and uh, the other family was the lead pastor and uh, they were working in an assistant type role and they were complaining to this uh, to this man about how they were not being fed spiritually. 
And he asked them, how long have you been working in this church? And they gave him a number of years. If I remember correctly, it was well over 10 years. And he said, let me ask you a question here. He says, do you have children? Oh, yeah, we have children. What are the ages? All were in teenage years. And I said, okay. Do you still bottle feed your teenagers? What? No. I don't bottle feed my teenagers. They're teenagers. What do they eat? Well, you know what they eat. Pizza, <laughs> crisp, <laughs> Doritos, <laughs> popcorn, <laughs> all the wonderful healthy stuff teenagers like to have. You don't feed them with a bottle? You don't put the food in their mouth? No, they feed themselves. Why is that? Well, they've grown up. They, they've learned how to feed themselves. And as they said it, the light bulb went on. They were complaining about not being fed spiritually on Sunday when God says you've been in ministry serving and you've never learned to feed yourself. God's given us his word. We have no excuse to be ignorant of it. None. None. God has given us his word and God teaches us that when we choose to follow his word, God promises to give good success. Notice how Joshua continues, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Fourthly, the enemy of courage is rebellion. God says, here's what I want you to do, and we choose to do something different. Rebellion is an enemy of courage. Look at verse number... Uh, look at verse number 9. I'll skip part of one and just go to verse number 9 here. Notice it says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Notice this word, neither be thou dismayed. That word dismayed there literally means to be knocked down or flattened. God is teaching us that an enemy of courage is a distraction. We're so distracted today. The world shows so many different things today on what we ought to follow and how we ought to be and how we ought to go. But God teaches us that he has a right way, a proper way. He has a perfect will for all. And we truly can be in that perfect will of God. But the world teaches us something much different, does it not? It teaches us to follow our desires and our emotions they are the things that define us according to the world. And the world shows us and teaches prevalently throughout every uh, show or program that you will watch that we are powerless over our desires. We're powerless over what, how we feel and our emotions. We're powerless over those things according to the world. They have to define us and they have to control us. Have you ever heard the statement, I can't change how I feel? I hear it so often. And that is the lie. That is the deception. Because that's not true. Our emotions change, our desires do change. And if you allow your emotions and your desires to define you and to direct your life, it will tear you to shreds like a strimmer going at a piece of grass. As that blade comes and rips apart that blade of grass, that's exactly what our emotions and our desires, if we allow them to control us, will do to our lives. It will rip us to shreds leaving us destroyed and empty and broken. 
it is not what God desires. God tells us and teaches us to take charge of our desires. To take charge of our emotions, to take desire, a control over our emotions and what we desire or want to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, closing this, don't you have to turn there, it'll be on the screens. Notice what Paul says, casting down imaginations. Imagining how I feel, imagining what I want, what I desire, my emotions of the moment and every high thing that exalteth against itself, against what? The knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God teaches us that we are to cast, we are to take control of those emotions, of those desires, and bring them into the knowledge of Christ. And if they do not compare to what God's desires are, what God's what God desires us to follow and to be at that moment, God says, bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, don't let your thoughts, don't let your emotions and your desires control you but rather allow the word of god to control your life allow god to direct your step allow him to truly to lead and direct why because we have the cap we have the capacity to be courageous in the step that god has led us to god will not tell us to do something that he does not given us the capacity to do he told, John, he told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Go forward. God would not tell us to do something that we do not have the capacity to do. We tonight have the God-given capacity to be courageous. We need a courageous spirit. As we think about decisions, it will demand courage. May I encourage you that God's given you the capacity for it. You can follow God. You can follow His Word. You can do decisions right because He's given you the capacity for a courageous spirit to go forward.